hostile. Morning. Wow, it's like a nice mini podium. Um, my name is Paul, uh, as uh, Tim said. I am one of the uh, a pastoral interns at West Philly Renewal. Um, I've been an intern a very long time. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm redefining what an intern is, but um, yeah, uh, I'm glad to be here to share the word with you today. Um, but before uh, we get to it, uh, let me uh, uh, ask for help. Uh, from our Lord. So let's bow in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, thank you for uh, your word. Um, we ask that you illuminate our minds this morning through your spirit, uh, and may he uh, convict us in our hearts um, to change uh, what needs to be changed. But Lord, also Comfort us through your gospel um, and grow our, our trust and love uh, for you uh, by knowing uh, what you've done uh, for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. Speak to us this morning, uh, Lord, through uh, your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A uh, few uh, weeks ago, um, I was actually uh, studying with a couple friends um, at uh, a, a pen building, and um, as many group study sessions go, we got very distracted after a little bit, and we started talking more than studying. Um, and one of my friends there um, kind of suggested this activity that we do. I don't think it would have helped us study, but it was, I think they just brought it up in order to kind of point out that how we are not focused. Uh, but it's this activity where... Um, they were describing, you imagine a white piece of paper, just a blank piece of paper, and you try to go as long as possible without drawing anything on it with your mind. Um, you just see how long you can go. And it's supposed to gauge how mindful, how focused you are. I don't know if this actually works or not. Um, they just suggested it. Um, but we tried it, um, and I actually went for a really long time. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm really focused contrary to what we were doing, actually, at the time. Uh, but I think I reflect back, and I think I was, like, going a really long time, mainly because I had no imagination. I didn't know what to draw on the piece of paper. Um, but I just share that with you uh, for, uh, to kind of illustrate that uh, a lot of us, if we were to do that exercise, we would kind of, I, I um, imagine, have a little bit of trouble. Um, I think... For a lot of us, silence and inactivity is a very uh, rare thing. Um, and idleness is something that we're not familiar with. Uh, if we have an extended period of downtime, uh, we are quick to fill it with entertainment or just more work. Uh, and we don't really sit with our thoughts uh, in that inactivity. Um, and even in brief moments of inactivity, we're very quick to pull out our smartphones. Uh, we don't want to just sit still, uh, and we kind of look at our phones, we feed our minds with whatever is on it, um, where, whether we're waiting in line somewhere at the grocery store or somewhere else, or if we're waking up, we go to our phones, we fill our minds. If we're about to go to sleep, we get our phones, we fill our minds, 
And even in daily conversation sometimes, maybe it's even like a one-on-one meal with someone, and maybe there's like an awkward silence. Um, You know, you're getting to know this person, and you guys both like kind of pause and pull out your phones and look as if the awkwardness disappears into uh, outer space. Um, But all that to say, I think we're very unfamiliar uh, with inactivity, uh, and we're not um, very familiar with just sitting still, and um, we don't really pay too much attention in that way how we fill our minds. We're very quick to fill it with our smartphones or whatever else uh, that we put our attention to. Or at the least, we don't really place importance on how our thoughts are shaped. Uh, and we don't really think about that. And I think I was reading an article uh, by a Christian blogger um, a while back, uh, and he was talking about Game of Thrones, how Christians should not watch it. I'm not, I'm not endorsing this view per se, but he was saying Game of Thrones has a lot of violence, a lot of sexuality, a lot of things that are not edifying, and he's like, we should just stay away from it. Um, and I think it's, he was trying to convey the fact, hopefully, that we fill our minds with things without second thought, uh, that we, we don't really think about it too much. Uh, and we do that also with music. We're very quick to listen to whatever is out there. Um, and I'm not going to say what's good or bad or anything like that, but I think the point here is that we don't really gauge uh, what we're filling our minds with, what our minds are being shaped by. We learned last week, uh, Pastor Dan was here, uh, and he preached on chapter 8, 1 through 4, and we learned that there is now no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus because of the work that Christ Jesus does uh, through his Spirit in us. And Apostle Paul, in our passage today, goes on to explain what he said in chapter, uh, verse 4, about how we are walking according to the Spirit or we are not walking according to the Spirit. And he goes on to explain that a little more in our passage today. And he phrases it as this. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh, and those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. He draws a stark contrast between those who walk according to the flesh and walk according to the Spirit. Those who walk according to the Spirit have a certain mindset, and those who walk in the flesh have a certain mindset. And that's what characterizes and differentiates these two groups of people. One sets their minds on the flesh, and one sets their minds on the spirit. And when Paul says setting their minds, uh, he's not just talking about influencing our thoughts and intellectual life. He's actually including in that our thoughts, our desires, and our priorities when he's talking about setting our minds, when he's talking about the mindset that we have. And he's also saying that there's a radical difference between these two, that there is a big difference. So what is that difference? And we're going to go through that this morning. And my points are kind of just following that through, that the first two points will be, one, what it means to set the mind on the flesh, and then point two will be what it means to set our minds on the spirit, and then third point will be about a declaration of grace for our security and encouragement to live in the spirit. So what does it mean when Apostle Paul describes those who live according to the flesh, setting their minds 
on the flesh. How is flesh contrasted to the spirit here in our passage today? Flesh, if you may uh, just kind of quickly think about it, you may think like it's the physical body, uh, you know, we talk about flesh in that, those terms, but here Apostle Paul is uh, being a little more holistic, and he's talking about the human nature corrupted by sin. So when he's talking about flesh, when he's using that word, he's talking about the human nature corrupted by sin. And included in that sinful corruption is the mind and our thought life. He's including that in there. And our thinking, reasoning, our logical processes, the way we understand the world, when we were in the flesh, he's saying there was an anti-God bent to our thinking. When we were in the flesh, there was an anti-God bent to our thinking. And there are a couple ways, several ways that this comes out uh, in life and it, how our minds are affected uh, in terms of sinful corruption. And first is it goes against the presence of God. We have thoughts that are against the presence of God. And these are just blatant denials that God exists. Do you guys know uh, the author Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, and Bart Ehrman? Um, you don't have to know these people. Maybe good that you don't. Um, but Sam Harris and uh, Richard Dawkins are atheists who write a lot of books just about how God does not exist, and they try to deny his existence. Bart Ehrman is actually a New Testament scholar. Um, when I was in college, he was at UNC. Uh, but he is not a Christian, and he writes uh, his scholastic books in ways that are secular, how the Bible is just a book. Uh, and these guys kind of illustrate a life. They kind of devote their life to this project of denying God's presence. And I think it's reflective of what we saw in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and 28, where it tells us that by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In verse 28, where it says, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. So these are blatant denials. And that may not be that close to us here. But secondly, the way that uh, sin corrupts our minds and influences our minds is that it goes against the authority of God. It goes against the authority. Our minds can be influenced in terms of blatant denials of him, but more often than not, it's influenced by thoughts that go against biblical teaching. One example that comes up again and again, I do college ministry in West Philly, and uh, to not my liking, the biggest counseling issue is dating. Um, and one of the big questions that I get is, can I date this non-Christian? Or they're actually already dating, and they're like saying, is it okay? Like, why is it bad? You know, and then I'm like, no, it's not good. The Bible says, don't be unequally yoked, don't do it. Um, and, you know, they try to reason their way with us in some, some cases. They're like, but they're so nice. You know, I can't find a nice Christian boy. And I'm like, that may be true, but <laughs> it's still against the Bible. Um, and they, you know, ultimately they, the last resort for their reasoning is, but I'll bring them to Christ by dating. And I'm like, no, don't do that. Um, and we try to reason our way, uh, and this is against the authority of God. Uh, it may not be 
very apparent in the moment, but it is against it. And for parents, maybe, this may also be not as apparent, but if push comes to shove, are you for the prosperity of your child in terms of your wishes for your child? Or are you primarily for the Christian character formation of your child? Hopefully we can provide both for them, that they can be somewhat um, prosperous in the sense where they can provide for themselves. But if we were honest with ourselves, is our attention in terms of raising our children really about shaping their Christian formation? Or is it really about having them live well in this earth? Which is it? And I think that kind of goes against the authority of God in terms of biblical teaching. And there's a general also third example where um, there's an idea out there uh, in culture where it says humans are innately good. It's called secular humanism. And this is not biblical because from the Bible we learn that we were created good, but because of sin we were corrupted. And it's not just that we are innately good. And this thought actually practically comes against um, our daily living and engaging with other people, um, I think primarily in the sense where you try to evangelize. People will say, I'm good. I don't need a savior. I'm innately good. Why are you saying that I have things to fix? And I think these thoughts that influence our mind um, kind of go against the authority of God. And lastly, third, uh, ways that the sinfulness corrupts our minds is we have personal worries and thoughts that, that give us and cause us anxiety, guilt, and shame. And this is against and counter to the trustworthiness of God. There is good guilt that the Bible talks about. Good guilt that brings us to contrition and repentance of our own sin so that we can really come before the Lord and change. But these verses that we have today come right after the declaration that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not talking about the good guilt that is in the Bible, but it's really talking about the lies that the devil feeds our minds in terms of bad guilt, shame, and anxiety. And there are things that the devil will lie to us about. And one example may be that Christ is not enough for us. Christ is not enough, and he'll feed our minds in certain ways, maybe not blatantly about that. And it goes against 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where he tells us, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And a second lie that the devil might feed us is that God does not fully accept us, that there is something left to earn. That God isn't satisfied fully. And it goes against the teaching in 1 John 1, 9, where it tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And a third lie might be that we all should put up a front, be well presented, that vulnerability and transparency in church, yeah, those are good things that we talk about and that, you know, 
um, that we just do in our conversations. But in actual life, I don't really want to be about those things. I don't want to share and be vulnerable before. And the devil may tell us, feed our minds, saying, yeah, that's okay, just put up a front. It's okay, and it goes against James 5, 16, where it tells us, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And fourth, we have much fear in our lives. And in terms of safety and comfort, the devil may feed our minds by telling us to protect your safety and comfort at all costs. At all costs. No matter what, be safe, be comfortable. That is your ultimate goal. And this goes against Matthew 6, 26, where it tells us, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? In addition to our minds and thoughts uh, being influenced, this flesh, this sinful nature, uh, it includes uh, our warped desires and our warped priorities. There are many blessings and good things in our life that are, you know, we can receive and enjoy. Uh, but the old mindset of the flesh, it gets it all out of order where we want too much of certain things, too much of good things. Uh, and we desire these things in ways that are sinful. And he is including in that when he talks about the flesh. And I think it's telling and really it inspects our hearts by just asking the simple question of why, why did you choose the job that you are working now? Why did you choose the school that you are studying at now? Why are you dreaming the dream that you are dreaming now? And the answer, I think, will be reflective of that answer, whether we are wanting these too much. Is the answer just because of comfort? Is it because it's simply just the highest pain? That is the only reason? Is it because of reputation? You want to build your life in a certain way of reputation. Are your desires and priorities shaped at all by the things of the Spirit? the things of God. Verse 6 tells us that the mind on the flesh is death. And it's not talking about literal death, but it's talking about a hopelessness, a meaninglessness when it talks about death. Having our mind set on the flesh ultimately means that our lives are hopeless in terms of purpose, in terms of purpose, because everyone dies. Everyone here, not to be too morbid, everyone will die. The difference is, what purpose are you living for right now? That is the dichotomy that Apostle Paul is drawing. I remember uh, when I was uh, 
uh, in my master's seminary days at Westminster. Um, Westminster is a really small seminary. It has four buildings. One of them has all the classes, at least back then, I think still. Um, and there's like one door that all the students go through uh, in the morning or whenever their class is. And uh, when I was there, uh, there was a man by the name of Jerry McFarland. Uh, he was our dean of students. And he would, um, he would be there occasionally, not every morning. Uh, he would be standing next to the door where all the students pass by. Uh, and he'd have this large cup of coffee, not for us, for himself as he's drinking. And I had a lot of 8 a.m. classes, and I'd be going to uh, my uh, classes through those doors. And he'd be standing there, and he'd be yelling, literally yelling, saying, are you thinking of the honor of your Lord Jesus Christ today? Are you honoring the name of your Lord Jesus Christ today? And then as I'm walking, I'm like, dude, I just woke up. <laughs> like I'm just, I have like stuff in my eyes. And he would do that occasionally. And at the time, I'm like, like I want your coffee. Like I just want to get to class, take my class, go home and sleep. But I reflect on that now uh, and after, after I graduated. And I, I appreciate it because I realized what he was trying to do. He was telling us seminarians, us future Bible teachers, future pastors, are you mindful in what you are doing, in what you are choosing day to day of the honor of your Lord Jesus Christ? Is that even a factor? Or are you just spending time or maybe you're just choosing against his honor. Is that even a factor in your life? Are you honoring the name of your Lord Jesus Christ today? Having our minds on the flesh, whether we acknowledge it or not, is being in rebellion against God. And as our verses say, it's being hostile to God, and we cannot please him. But then Apostle Paul contrasts the flesh to those who live according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And what does that mean, to set our minds on the things of the Spirit? Verse 6 tells us that to set our minds on the things of the Spirit uh, is life and peace. First, Life. He's telling us that we have new life produced in us. Ezekiel 36, 26 tells us, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He's also saying this is something that's done to you. You cannot just go out and grasp the spirit and shove it into your heart or to your existence it is something that is done to you. It is a grace. This new life comes upon you. But it is a new life that is produced. And secondly, we have peace with God. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled with God. Our relationship with God is repaired. We can fellowship with him once again. And we have this life and peace because we are in the Spirit the Spirit of Christ is given to us to work in us to produce a new mindset, new desires, and new priorities. 
Well, what does that look like specifically? Very practically. One, what it looks like is we begin to learn what is pleasing to God. We begin to learn what is pleasing to God. In other words, we learn sins that we didn't think were sins before. I remember when I was doing youth ministry, and I share this occasionally, um, is uh, I, I preached a sermon and a student came up to me after and asked me a question. I don't, actually don't remember what I preached on, but she asked me, so drunkenness is a sin? Getting drunk is a sin? And I was like, I was kind of puzzled. I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and we kind of had a conversation about that. But my reaction was like that because I assumed everyone should have known that. That drunkenness is obviously a sin. As if from your mother's womb, that is a fact you should know. It's not. We learn this through the word of God. We learn this because more and more we learn what the sins in our life are. And we also learn what is pleasing in terms of our duty, our calling, the things and responsibilities that God sets before us. And we also learn what is not sin, things that may have given us guilt that we should not be guilty of. Primarily, we learn these things through the word of God because we submit now to his authority and teaching in the Bible. And our hearts are no longer in rebellion against it. And that is why we can learn what is pleasing to him. And secondly, we begin to hate what displeases God, what displeases him. P. Dan spoke uh, about uh, this in reference to fighting sin. He, he said that you cannot kill what you cannot hate. I think it was an example from John Owen. Uh, but we begin to learn to hate what displeases him, not merely because they are things that are wrong. They are. But what happens in the spirit, in our hearts, is we learn to hate it because it grieves our Lord. It grieves the heart of our Lord. And there becomes a true sorrow that is produced in our hearts over our sin and what displeases him. And thirdly, we begin to love what we've never loved before. One is God himself. We were hostile, we were in rebellion, and in the spirit, we begin to learn to love God for who he is and what he's done in our lives. But on top of that, we also learn to love his laws, and we learn to love to obey them. Psalm 1 and 119 says, we delight and love God's law. There are many days when it doesn't feel like that for a lot of us, but in the spirit, he is working in our hearts to produce this love in our hearts of even his law. And we also learn to love the people around us. Not the friends that you are finding easy to love, but all of us have people in our lives, had or will have, people who are hard to love. It may not be because of them or who they are. It may just be simply your heart is sinful. But we begin to learn to love even those people in the spirit. 
And thirdly, we begin to learn to love his mission and his glory. There's a passage in Matthew that talks about anxiety and worries in life. And Matthew ends with a solution in verse 33 of chapter 6, where he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you actually just read it and think about it, it's kind of a weird answer. It's like, dude, I'm worried about my life. And Matthew's like, look towards his kingdom. And, you know, we kind of gloss over that. But it, it kind of makes us think again. Like, what is he saying? He's saying to set our minds on the spirit is to set our minds for the cause of the king. And when we do, those worries and anxieties become small. They're not prominent anymore. Not that they disappear completely, but they become small. And practically how we can set our minds on the things of the Spirit in terms of kingdom things is one, to be for missions. Pastor Luke, I think it's not a secret that he's going abroad sometime in his life to do long-term mission. Not all of us are called to do that, but all of us are called to be a part of that in one way or another. The question is, are you? Are you doing that? Are you being a part of it? And secondly, here maybe in a more microscopic way that we can be for his kingdom is to seek discomfort for the sake of another person's comfort. To seek discomfort for the sake of another person's comfort. I think parents are very practiced in this, hopefully. Um, and it kind of comes up to you by way of your children. Um, and you get a lot of practice in this. But with just those around us, are you seeking comfort or discomfort for the sake of another person's comfort? Because we're so quick to look for comfort for ourselves. But the way of the kingdom is for the other, for God and for the other. And another last way that, that we can be for his kingdom is in terms of making your choices, whether it's a job, school, or anything else, is, it, is your primary reason to advance yourself? Or does your reasoning of choosing what you're doing have any eternal investment in it? Is there any part of that choice where you are really being eternally minded, that you are investing eternally. So church, I want to ask you, do you want these things? Do you want these things of the Spirit, things of God? What are your life priorities? Is your mindset of the Spirit or of the flesh? Do you trust your Lord and Savior each, every morning, every day? Do you always trust Him against all anxiety, worry, and uncertainty? Do you always live for God's purposes? Do you always seek to hate what displeases God and always strive to live for what pleases Him? I'm pretty sure 
Most of us, if not all, want to answer yes to those questions. But I suspect because of the words all, each, every day, we cannot emphatically say, of course. And if we try to gauge ourselves against perfection, we will be disappointed of our lives, perhaps even dejected. Verses 5 through 8 do give us a stark contrast between living with a mindset on the flesh and a mindset on the spirit. And it is a descriptive contrast between the non-Christian and the Christian. But these verses do not exclude the fact of the reality that as Christians, as people who have uh, the spirit, who are of the spirit, we still struggle. We still struggle against the mindset of the flesh. It doesn't exclude that reality. Do you remember the headless chicken? Uh, it's the example that's been used. Like It comes up every sermon in this Roman series, I feel like. Um, hopefully we'll put it to bed sometime soon. But it, it's a very good reminder of the lingering sin in our lives. But on the positive end, there is also a progressive turning, a progressive change that happens as we learn to love what pleases God. There's a struggle and conflict in our lives, that's for sure. But there's a progressive change in that struggle. And I think this is depicted very well uh, in this one scene uh, in the book Les Miserables. It's one of my favorite novels. Um, I don't know if you've read the book. It's a very long book. Uh, but there's also a movie that came out in 2012 with Hugh Jackman. It's a good movie. You can go watch it. Um, but for those who don't know the storyline, Le Mis is about uh, this convict. Part of the story is about this convict by the name of Jean Valjean. And he, you see him in prison in the beginning of the story. He gets released. He, cre uh, he commits a petty crime. And um, eventually he learns to turn his life around. Uh, and in this town that he settles in, he goes by a different name than Jean Valjean. He's called Monsieur Madeleine. Uh, my French is not very good. Um, but everyone respects him. He provides a lot of jobs. Uh, and there's another character in the story by the name of Inspector Javert who's been after Jean Valjean all this time. He's wanted to put him back in jail for what he, that petty crime that he's committed. And Javert's kind of like uh, one day comes up to Jean Valjean and apologizes in this one scene. And Jean Valjean's like, why are, you, why are you sorry? Why are you apologizing to me? And he's saying, I thought you were Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean is actually startled because he hasn't heard that name in a long time. And then Javert goes on and says, we caught the guy. We caught Jean Valjean and he's going under trial soon. So I apologize for suspecting you to be that man. And as this conversation goes and ends, the book kind of explains the thought process of Jean Valjean and what goes on, the conflict that ensues in his mind. And it begins in this way. It says, even while listening to Javert, his first thought was to go to run, to give himself up, to drag this Champ Matthew, the guy who they, they, they think is Jean Valjean, out of prison and go back in his place. It was a painful and poignant as an incision into living flesh, but faded away 
And he said to himself, let's see, let's see. He repressed the first generous impulse and recoiled before such heroism. It actually goes on for multiple pages, this struggle. Should I go? Should I stay? If I go, I go to jail. If I stay, then I'm a liar. And it struggles. In the movie, they take care of this multiple-page scene with just one song, this song where Hugh Jackman sings, Who Am I? Uh, It's a good song. Um, But even in the song, he struggles. He says, If I speak, I am condemned. If I stay silent, I am damned. Those in the flesh do not think it wrong to displease God. And because of that, they don't struggle. They are fine. There is no struggle. For those in the Spirit, our affections slowly but surely begin to change. And because of that, the struggle shows us that we are of the Spirit. That as we kill our sins day to day, our appetite to recognize God's love for us through the cross grows. And in turn, it grows our hearts to love God and His purposes. This progressive turning, this progressive change that comes about sometimes and a lot of times through the struggles in our lives is not accomplished by sheer willpower. Our passage does not tell us this is the life according to the flesh, this is the life according to the spirit. Now live in the spirit. Go do it. Try. Do it again. Do it again. It doesn't say that. Instead, after describing the mindsets of the flesh and of the spirit, Apostle Paul doesn't instruct. He declares. He declares the reality that that God accomplished in Christ for us. The reality that there was a change in lordship. That there was a change in loyalty. That there was a change in allegiance in our hearts. He declares this. He tells us, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He declares this. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. And he goes on, since in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Apostle Paul in this declaration is reminding us of our gospel identity. He's saying what makes you a new creation, what makes you a genuine Christian is not primarily a change in mindset, a change in behavior. This eventually does happen in the Spirit. But what makes us a genuine Christian is the declaration of the reality that we belong to Christ. That's it. 
The marker of a genuine Christian is that we belong to Christ. The change in mindset, change in behavior, that stuff follows. And this is also told to us similarly in very similar ways from Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, where he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jean Valjean, after his long struggle, eventually decides to go, to go to court to free this man named Champ Matthew, who was wrongfully accused for being him. And all along the way, even in the carriage ride, he's like, should I turn back? Should I turn back? Who's going to take care of Fantine? She's sick. If I'm not there, what's going to happen to her? All the while as he's going, as he's going. And he shows up to court saying, I am Jean Valjean. This man has done nothing wrong. And we see a little glimpse of how he made that choice, what motivated him to make that choice, even through his struggle. Is in the movie, there's actually a scene with two candlesticks, and in the book, it also talks about how he struggles before these two candlesticks. And those two candlesticks actually remind him of the redemption that he received earlier on in the story. See, when he was a convict, he was released. He couldn't get a job. He was on the street. He was hungry. And this bishop took him in, showed him generosity. He fed him. He gave him a place to sleep. And against all that generosity, Jean Valjean stole all his silverware and ran. He didn't get get too far. He got caught by police. They brought him back, and they're like, Bishop, I think he has that stuff that's yours. And without a word, the bishop goes to the cabinet, gets two candlesticks, goes up to Jean Valjean, and tells him, you forgot these. Next time you go, you don't have to use the back door. The front is always open for you. The policemen eventually leave because they think it's a misunderstanding. And then the bishop declares this over Jean Valjean. And he says this, Do not forget ever that you have promised me to use the silver to become an honest man. And it describes how Jean Valjean, who had no recollection of any such promise, stood dumbfounded. The bishop had stressed these words as he spoke them. He continued solemnly and he continues to declare over Jean Valjean, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil but to good. It is your soul I am buying for you. I withdraw it from the dark thoughts and from the spirit of perdition, and I give it to God. For us, it wasn't two candlesticks. For us, it wasn't just two candlesticks. We were purchased by God through the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through the cross and the empty tomb, Jesus Christ redeemed us into his kingdom. He gave us his own spirit and we are united to him. And that is why we belong to Christ. If you are not a Christian here, um, I don't know everyone. Uh, I'm glad you're worshiping uh, with us. Uh, and we did talk a lot about the flesh and how that is not uh, Christian. But we were all once of the flesh. And by gr God's grace, only God, by God's grace, we are of the Spirit. But I do want to leave you, if you are not a Christian, with just one question that you can ask yourself. Is to just ask, for what purpose do I live? And hopefully the answer to that question can drive you towards a conviction that is eternal and doesn't just end with death. That as you continue to ask yourself, for what purpose do I live? That it can propel you towards answers that are eternal. And for us, Renewal Church, for us Christians, when there are moments of struggle, doubt, anxiety, remember that the very Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the very Spirit given to us. And that through that Spirit, we have new life. We no longer belong to the domain of darkness, but we are part of the kingdom of his beloved Son. I pray that as individuals, individual Christians, as a church, and even as your CG, that this fact that we belong to Christ can help us be mindful of our thoughts, our desires, our priorities in those groups and as individuals, and that we can shape them more and more by the reality of the fact that we do belong to Christ. That as we choose how we are to welcome people into the congregation, to our CGs, that as we choose to decide where to eat, little things like that, and where to meet, how to talk to one another, how to really be in your disposition towards newcomers or whatnot, that we can be motivated to want to honor the name of our Lord Jesus Christ because we belong to him. Let's pray at this time. Uh, as the praise team comes up, I do want to um, have us Go through a couple of prayer topics. Um, you can rise or you can uh, stay seated, uh, whichever you find more comfortable. Um, but if we can think through, if today um, you are riddled with thoughts of anxiety, of uncertainty, of worry, maybe of little things, maybe of big things. Be reminded 
that God declares over you. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but of the spirit. And he declares over us that we belong to him and that is the place that is most secure than any other place in this world. And if you are here this morning, you're not really too worried about other things. You don't have too much anxiety, but perhaps you can reflect upon your life priorities and why you do the things you do. Maybe there are things that you choose to be entertained by, your choices of entertainment. Maybe it's a job choice. But to ask yourselves, did I make this choice or am I making this choice because I want to internally, eternally invest in God's kingdom and glory? In my choices, am I honoring the name of my Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you can reflect upon those things and ask him to convict you and help you so that you can really realign your priorities and life choices this morning. So let's pray in that way and then I'll close this before we go into our ending song.